Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Inner Fight Podcast. Hope that you've had a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to last week's show. If you didn't, please go and have a listen. This is episode number 726. Mental health is something that we are seeing spoken about a lot more these days. And this show is with a gentleman that was directly affected by a couple of gentlemen suffering mental health who actually took their own lives. Frankie Tinsley is an exceptional human being and in August of this year embarked on a journey to raise awareness around mental and physical health. He made his way from the very southern point of the UK, Land's End, to the very northern point, John O'Groats, by cycling, swimming, and running. He swam the longest lakes, and he scaled the highest peaks. In between, he just casually rode his bike. This is Frankie, and this is his exceptional story of the Talisman Triathlon. Enjoy the show. Frankie, you have just completed a world's first. How does that feel? Uh, when you put it across like that, it feels completely insane. Uh, <laughs> to think that, you know, and it's, yeah, the other thing that's like really insane is it's not like a crazy world. Well, it is a crazy world's first, but it's not one of those where I'm the first person to climb 10,000 trees and it's like, where did he make that up from? It's like, yeah. it's fairly logical, but it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's mad, mate. I want to kick off talisman. And I actually Googled that word to see what it really meant. And it's described as an object, typically an inscribed ring or stone that is thought to have magic powers and bring good luck. So why? my first question, mate, really is, why did you call it that? Well, there's actually, uh, there's, there's two, two meanings, you know, when you actually look at the dictionary side of things. So yeah, you are right, there's the object. And I was like, that's something which does carry good luck. And then the other part of it is some, something or somebody that is uh, a role model or representing to a particular group. So that would be talisman-like. So if we look at like our, our, our sporting background, I'm an ex-rugby player as well, is that, you know, that talisman would be the guy that's hitting the tackle every time that you look to and go, yeah, okay, I'm going to follow him. So that, that's where it came from. Talk us through it, mate. Everyone, like, we're, we're a minute in and we, me and you are just talking because we know exactly what the hell's just happened. But tell us what you've just done, mate. And then I think it's a good time as any as why you did it. Yeah, okay, cool. So to try and be concise over the actual event, it's pretty long, <laughs> is I was the first person to... I travelled from Land's End to John O'Groats by swimming the longest lakes and locks in, and then running from their end over the highest peaks in Wales, England and Scotland. Wow. <laughs> Which for a lot of people, mate, I mean, it's not an uncommon route for cyclists and it's becoming a little bit more common for runners, isn't it? To go from John O'Groats to Land's End or vice versa, which is, I think if you go along the route it's about 800 or 900 miles if i'm correct i'm not sure yeah 
so I think it's I think it's always been there as like it started off as a bit of a mecca for cyclists. It was like yeah. obviously some guy threw out that world's first and then it turned into the ultra runners. Um, so yeah, I think it's about 900 miles. And you know, when I was actually, we'll, we'll jump onto the reason why in a, in, a, in, a, in a short while. But when I was actually looking at the concept for the talisman, I realized that no one had actually done it in like a triathlon format. So yes. no one had actually swim, bike, run it. Is that, is that where it came? Because I'm interested to, like, it's epic, mate. And we're going to go in to, like, you know, you swam, like, almost 20K across Lake Windermere in the Lake District, which is just, in itself, is just an incredible challenge. But how did you sort of come up with this idea that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ride and I'll run over the highest peaks and then I'll, I'll just swim the lakes as well. Like, fuck, why not? Like, how do you, how do you get to that, mate? <laughs> yeah, so this, so this is going to, like, drop that bombshell of the backstory. Um, so for, for the listeners that won't know who I am, uh, I'm a physical training instructor in the UK Armed Forces. I'm a former Royal Marine. And in a previous job, I worked... Uh, delivering uh, and planning leadership training for officer cadets that were looking at joining the Air Force. And one of my colleagues, we actually were, we were kind of coming up with some other crazy concept that we could get all these officer cadets and we could do some form of triathlon with Relay, England, Wales, Scotland. We had a couple of beers. We we're like, that's a great idea. We went out for a cycle ride and uh, got some training in. And then sadly, four months later, I, I took a phone call and I heard that Andy had taken his own life and it was in that moment that I kind of you know you, you you're almost in shock and I thought back to the last time that I spent with him and I thought oh we were planning that triathlon that kind of event that was swim bike run and then it was like oh fuck uh, I guess that's a that should be me that's uh doing this now so it's kind of like uh it sounds really cliche but I didn't choose the event. It chose me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, but that's the way for, for an increasing number of events now, especially for people, you know, with a, with such a sharing mindset as you have mate, isn't it? Yeah. I think uh, there's different things. You'll stumble across some things. And I think, I think if you're always looking for, I seem to, uh, always be looking for challenges. I, I certainly have learned the older I'm getting at four years old, that if I've not got hardship in my life, mm. then I almost feel that my life's a little bit flat. Now, it's, that sounds like really, you know, might, to some people might sound a little bit crazy, but yeah. I just I feel that I'm more happy that if I'd, I had a little bit of healthy suffering in my life, then I could chill out a little bit more. I imagine we could dig into that a lot. I imagine you could give us a lot of different stories on healthy suffering, mate. I might park that one <laughs> <laughs> for the time being, but I, I will, I've just made a note. I will come back there because I think it's a really interesting point. You get the call that Andy has taken his own life. Talk us through that, mate. Yeah, so it was uh, a bit of a... To, to, for like a double whammy, it was actually my birthday as well. So it was a. Uh, uh, so I was expecting this phone call from a mate, and I saw him ringing. I was like, "Oh, what's this going to be? It's going to be." He, he's remembered the birthday. He was like, "Oh, mate, just to let you know." So yeah, it's it's certainly a it's a bombshell, isn't it? No one expects that phone call, and you 
I think it gives you some real instant life perspective of, of how short life can be. And you, you certainly ask questions why. Um, yeah, I guess I've not got much more on that other than the fact it was a, you know, a real shock to take that phone call. Absolutely, mate. And that's, so that the event chose you. And obviously, mate, you, for, for the folks that have been following it, and if not, there's a, there's a Just Giving page set up to contribute to a, a, a charity around mental health. Tell us a little bit about that and how you chose, chose it. Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess uh, coming off the back of the phone call and thinking back to the time I spent with Andy, that's when I started mapping out what a triathlon could look like. And I looked at all sorts of different routes. I was inspired a little bit by, you know, Ross, Ed- Ross Edgley's Great yeah. British Swim. And I was like, I'm not going to do anything as crazy as that. Uh, but then it transpires the event was pretty crazy in itself. And then <laughs> it was only by doing the research that I was like, oh, that's what it looks like, is no one's actually done it clean, going to the largest lakes, going to the mountains. The, the, so I, what I established was three objectives. The first objective we've completed now, so I can say that I'm, it's the world's first and the first person to do it. Well done. The second... The second one was to raise awareness around physical and mental health, but with a different slant. And we kind of, we didn't coin it. We, we used the phrase strong in body, strong in mind, because we wanted to make the journey uh, as positive as possible and, and an inspiration. But then at the same time to raise awareness uh, around me- uh, suicide and suicide rates. And just to throw some stats in the background there, that in the UK, 125 people take a life every week. Uh, if you're male, it's three times more likely, you're three times more likely to take a life than you are female, uh, which just staggering statistics. And it's only since planning the event, I learned that every suicide affects 250 people significantly. So if you think the wives, mothers, brothers, sisters, they all question why and what they could have done. I think that's a, a horrible wake to follow anything like that. So th- there's been a big piece to to raise awareness around uh, that physical and mental health it's it's mental mate I, I remember reading a book when i was when i was working for adidas and i was selling stuff and it was written by a guy who professed to be the world's greatest salesman and he had a similar rule that that just popped into my mind when you said 250 he's like if you're a sales guy you you've got 250 people you can sell to and each of those 250 people also know 250 people so it's quite easy to to grow your network but you've just put it in a crazy light that every person that is one of these 125 people a week in the UK it impacts 250 people and and in Andy's case you were you were obviously massively impacted mate how how does it like you explained it a little bit there, but how does it start to sit with you when, and, and, and the reason I'm asking this is because to create some awareness for people around sort of mental health and, and suicide as well, you get the initial news that someone close to you has taken their life, but then you obviously start to think about it and it starts to almost, I would say, incubate a little bit, Frankie, like what, what sort of things went through your mind in that sort of healing process? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm quite, I think later on we might end up talking about uh, habits and kind of positive mental attitude. I think so, so that, that's going to partly explain a little bit of, of how I'm going to answer this question. 
I'm very fortunate that uh, I can compartmentalize things and I, I can recognize those things that I can control and those things I can't. And you know, in this instance, it was something that happened. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not feelings attached to it. And this is going to sound uh, really, or I hope it doesn't come across cold, uh, but it's being completely honest. I feel a little bit angry at Andy and Andy for what they've done. Mm. Um, it's not, it's not like I, I feel for them. I, you know, they, they made that decision. I think it was a, a bad decision. And the reason why I'm angry, it's more for the impact it's had on family. You know, I, I look at uh, the second Andy, you know, he had a wife and a daughter. And it's just, you know, they're going to, to some degree, be affected like that by that for the rest of their life. Now, mm. I'm hoping that this event and other things can turn as much of that into a positive as possible. So I guess, you know, that's where, that, that's the only legacy thing I've got there other than it was just a, a tragic loss of life because the guys were totally cool. And <laughs> I don't know if any of the listeners uh, know anyone that's taken on life. Like the both guys were completely different. Andy was life and soul of the party. If he was in this conversation now, he'd be leading it and we're like, what a cool dude. Yeah, He's like yeah. a surfer into his music, into his festivals. And then the other guy, he'd be running this podcast. He's like the most organized, detailed, like, I went, used to go into his gym and his gym was like immaculate. I used to be like, oh my God, <laughs> I haven't got my health and safety board like that. Uh, so it, it's just a surprise that, you know, two characters that you wouldn't expect. It's um, well done, mate. I think what you've just said there about a little bit of the anger, it's probably not what people were expecting or would expect, but that's what I love about your story is that it's you and you're honest about it. You know, there's, there's a lot of anger around the, and, and, and some people might take that the wrong way, you know, that like, okay, these guys were suffering and they got to this point, like, you know, Frankie's got no reason to be angry with them, but it, it's how you feel, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a very weird situation. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I've got a, a big heart and I think, you know, of I think that, that, that comes across, that'll do it. <laughs> I, I don't need to look outside for kind of external uh, validation there. No. Like, uh, <laughs> I know myself. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I've got a big heart and, and it's, you know, doing the event is, is because I cared for Andy and Andy. Yes. And I still care for them now. It's, you know, but I do think that uh, being honest and being open is super important. And so often I think as uh, men that we can bottle things up, we form our opinions, we forge on and we can kind of be like uh, a little bit of, bull-minded you know yeah. we just crack on with it and get things done and i think just having an open dialogue and, and really expressing feelings it's got to help um yeah yeah it's um i know i mean mate before we sort of move into the epic journey and i want to sort of go into the different legs i guess with the the industry that you're in the armed forces the stressful situations that a lot of not only males, but also the females in the armed forces are subjected to in, in various parts of the world, whether they're serving for the, for the British military. We've seen, you know, we see an increasing number of, of PTSD stories come to fruition. Do you think, like, how has it been received within, within the military area of, of what you're doing to try and sort of raise awareness around mental and, and also the physical health side of it, just to try and help these people? Yeah, uh, the organization uh, is, is almost leading the way and it's doing, the MOD is doing a lot to 
to help service men and service women. You know, PTSD has, has really come to light, you know, in the last 10 years since yeah. uh, Iraq and since Afghanistan. And then we can look across uh, different sectors. We, you know, it was only yesterday, which was the uh, 20-year anniversary of the Twin Towers. You know, there's, yeah. there's lots of people in different walks of life who, who suffer from PTSD. And I think we are moving in the right direction. It's... Um, it's interesting that once you start raising more awareness, you start to realize that there's more issues there. Yeah. And you can't, you can't solve all of these things overnight. And I've spent a lot of time thinking, you know, down to, to real, almost at the absolute foundation level, what it is that, um, that can help people, whether it's PTSD, whether it's physical or mental health. And, and that comes down to uh, two things. I think uh, if we can, become a little bit more self-aware yeah. um, like self-awareness in every level that could be if we're looking at a, a crossfitter that's self-awareness of how they move it's like oh i didn't realize i moved like that <laughs> and now i can look to address it and then it's the same again it's the self-awareness of oh i'm actually thinking negatively what can i do about it and then the second part of that is is the so what is that self-regulation it's like well okay now i've got the self-awareness then maybe i can self-regulate and maybe that that's something that i'm trying to push forward with a message I like that. I like that a lot, mate. And I, I like, because a lot of people speak on self-awareness, but you maybe don't always hear it related to these kind of issues, but bringing them, bringing them together is, is really what it is, isn't it? And if, if we can create that and, and, and speak out and that's, you mentioned it as well, mate, like the, the, the military of defense, British army or, or any of the services, air force, what, no matter what it is, they're, they're, I, I, would you say, mate, it's become more normalized? Like 15 years ago, you wouldn't speak about it because it was a sign of, I guess, almost weakness. But now people are identifying with it and, and able to come out with it. Hopefully it helps a lot of other people. Yeah, I think uh, the culture's uh, fantastic. And I think, you know, the, the leadership component of the MOD are really pushing it heavily. Um, so I, I think there's, there's parts to that is that it's, everyone embracing that culture, which I certainly see across the armed forces. Yeah. I think, um, I think sometimes things can almost be over pushed that, that if we talk about it all the time, that it kind of waters down the importance of it. But I think, you know, certainly the, the, the import, the energy and the direction, uh, you know, from the senior leadership team has been fantastic. And, but there's always way to go. There's, there's always room to improve. Yeah, exactly. Well, mate, let's not water it down anymore. Let's get into, we know why you've done it. We, we, we obviously make full respect for, for why you kicked it off. And thank you for that. That really, I, it's hard for some people to talk about it, especially if you've lost these blokes close to you, but let's get into the adventure, mate. And the adventure kicked off just with a very easy first day of like 500k on the bike <laughs> like how did you plan these these days mate that's my first question yeah okay <laughs> so um uh, that's probably from the pack up that you get sent uh, the stats is like uh the first leg was 500k but that was over uh two a uh, couple of days right but uh so it's i guess it comes down to planning the event so i looked at it i looked at the the i guess the the, the entire length in one hit 
And then I realised actually planning for covering over 1,500 kilometres and whatever distance hike, gain and swims is almost nigh impossible that I just broke it down into, right, what do I think I can do in a given day? Right. And, and then I worked from there and I was like, well, that's feasible in a day, perhaps. And <laughs> the only rule that I, I gave that I, was, that I didn't want to break was eight hours sleep. So it's like, right, I can get that in. And with my breaks and with working, I can get eight hours sleep. And right. I went from there and then I just worked out what the second day and third day looked. And was it like, obviously, mate, you, you wanted to take into account like the highest points. Do you, do you want to talk to a lot of folk that listen, especially over here in the Middle East, might not know really the geography in the UK. So talk us through the, the, the highest points and, and why, what, what makes them, not what makes them high, because we know that, but like the, the challenge, like Mount Snowden is an incredibly challenging part of the country, right? Yeah. So, so I guess to put context on people that don't understand the scale and scope and, and the geography and the weather yeah. of the UK, you know, we have different climates, different terrain. We have pretty constant wet, cloudy and miserable climate, uh, <laughs> but, uh, which, which I'm sure you don't miss that much. Or maybe you do in the heat of summer in Dubai. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to put it, to break it down into distances, like the first three days were 200 kilometers a day with uh, well over like uh, 2,000 metres height gain or ascent and descent on the bike on, on small country roads. Right. That then took me into um, a, a short lake swim of just uh, just 6K. And then the run over Snowdon was then, in, in total, was 50K with some significant height gain. And yeah. like if we look at that as just a, we can almost round up the Wales chapter there, but the weather that spanked me on Scotland was horrific. Not in Scotland, on Snowdon. Yeah, like we had sideways wind gusting at seventy miles an hour. It was like the film crew were like halfway up the mountain, and I'm there with some Innovate shorts and a fortunately a decent jacket. And I was just like, "Wow, this is the UK." Or Andy and Andy are throwing everything at me here. <laughs> it's, I mean, and that really because I think, and this is the worst. As humans, we always underestimate mother nature don't we we're like yeah okay so what leg one was 500k i you know ah that's not a problem but when you put that in the context of every every day there was 2000 meters of elevation suddenly you've gone from you know you've gone from sea level up to the alps with with that bike and it's like everything changes doesn't it yeah for sure but then it's almost it's like a really interesting paradigm that what you've you've mentioned is like we can definitely underestimate things. But then what's really interesting that I see from delivering uh, training to groups within the militaries, more often than not, we underestimate our own ability. So like people will go. If I, if I turn around to a group and said, right, how far do you want to run today? We're going to do an assessment. How far do you want to run? Yeah. A guy might be sitting there and he might be like, well, I've got a marathon in the locker, but I'm not going to tell anyone that because it's going to, I'm putting myself on a pedestal. So he'll commit to 10 miles. Yeah. And then if you, you speak to him at the end of the 10 miles, you're like, how do you feel? Could you have done more? He's like, yeah, I could have done more. I'm like, well, why didn't you say that you could do 26 at the start of the day then? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. We definitely underestimate what the weather can throw at us, um, but that's out of our control. But the, the other thing we need to be mindful of is not selling ourselves short of what we're capable of. Yeah. 
Did you, when you put together the route, mate, did, did you feel confident or did you look at it and go, fuck, that, that leg on that day could be just savage? Yeah, okay, that second bit, the second part that you said there, and I'd had a few more fucking expletives. And, then, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I need to be completely honest, like, uh, because we're going to delve into my weaknesses and strengths, I'm sure. Yeah. But if I went back two years ago, there's no way I could have done this. Like, for the audience, the furthest I'd ever swam before this was one mile. And wow. on my PTI course, which were physical training instructors in the military, one of the... Um, key criteria on assessment is uh, swimming because you, you need to be there as a, a swim coach or a rescue swim coach and uh, I was the worst swimmer by far in my course I used to be like the guy peeling himself out of the pool 15 minutes after everyone else absolutely dying wow so when you know when my friends heard that I was doing it and, and that lock hall was 41 kilometers they were just like you're absolutely crazy you swim like a brick <laughs> That's brilliant, mate. So, did you have a? Were you scared about the swim legs, Frankie? Yeah, uh, and and you know it's interesting, and you use that that word scared, but uh, I actually use that uh, to camera the the. This was eleven days in at Lockhart, uh, and I'd if, for anyone who decides to follow or catch up on the, the event, you look and. Uh, talisman triathlon you can see the videos there but windermere uh was a super dark day and like the levels of digging deep to get to the end of windermere i've not been there in in the best part of a decade and then to get to lockhaw and uh, i spent two hours cycling down the side of lockhaw and i'm reasonably quick on a bike and i still wasn't at the end and uh you know i got to the end and i was like wow if windermere did that to me like what is what is the next three days got installed for me and and yeah there was definitely a bit of fear there a yeah. healthy bit of fear yeah that's what i wanted to ask you mate how do you turn that fear and that scaredness as, as we say around to create a positive experience for yourself interesting question and uh yeah i guess uh I would like time to think about it, but the things that, that pop straight into my mind is to employ coping strategies and you can use those as physical metrics of going, well, let's forget about the whole scale of, of what's ahead. You know, if I'm going to use an analogy, uh, if you were asked to eat an elephant, you won't, couldn't do it in one hit. Now, I know that might sound appalling to the vegans out there and I'm not condoning <laughs> eating elephants. Um, <laughs> but you know it's just an analogy so yeah. just please leave it there stay cool guys but at, <laughs> yeah but if i yeah see well, yeah stick to um yeah healthy greens but uh, <laughs> if i'm looking at lockhart to try and consider swimming in that temperature 41 kilometers in one hit it's just overwhelming yeah but then if you turn around and break it down as i chose on that day just 30 minutes then can i swim for 30 minutes uh, and get a coffee i'm like yeah well, of course i can swim for 30 minutes yeah. so there you go so let's just put one foot in front of the other and start working forwards. And then the other side of it is uh, I was super fortunate to have a support team that, and two guys that I didn't even know. They were the only volunteered three days before the event. They were like, Frankie, we're going to come swim with you. And I was like, you what? 
and uh, they'd witnessed the journey, two close mates, and they came and swam beside me. So having that camaraderie of two guys, I guess that lessens the feeling as well. I remember seeing on Instagram one day, mate, and her name escapes me, but the British cyclist that she came and cycled with you. Yeah, Victoria Pendleton. That's it. And, and, and it was quite funny because I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, mate, but I think she came for one day and then she stayed another day or she stayed a bit longer and she's like, well, I don't really have anything else to do. So I thought I'd just ride a bit longer with Frankie. And I was like, that's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, she, she's a, a super special lady, you know, multiple uh, uh, Olympian cha- Olympic champion, uh, world champion, uh, just kind of being a presence. But then what's totally surreal is when I'm uh, getting up in the morning or getting ready to put on a bike and, and saw and putting on chamois cream and doing everything else, is she's in the background, like, uh, we've got flapjacks. I've made you these homemade flapjacks. And it was like, you know, to be in the presence of a uh, former world champion and they're kind of starting your meal prep for the day was really humbling experience. And, uh, and it speaks volumes for a lot of energy that was around the event, that every single person that was in it, there was no one there that was in it for transactional um, reward. You know, no one was in yeah. it for, for pay or for recognition. It was all for the cause and, and getting me across the line and, yeah, super humbling, super cool girl too. That, no, it was it was wild. She was so upbeat. Like I literally was looking at the Insta story and I, I was just smiling, mate. I was just like, it made me, it inspired me, mate. It was it was properly good. But what one thing I want to ask you on that, mate, is there are two examples that the mates that that swam with you across Loch Ora and and also Victoria Pendleton. You somehow. And I don't think it's a mistake, but I'm interested to get your take. You attracted a lot of support that, as you just said, there was with no motive, untransactional. How do you think you did that? I think uh, that comes from uh, on reflection, probably how I how I am as a person. Um, mm. So I, I, I think the relationships that you form through your life. Now, we, I, I've always used an analogy that uh, who would be the 10 people that you'd live on an island with if, if you had to escape and that you, your circle can't grow too big because you can't spread yourself that thin to invest in absolutely everyone that you meet. You know, that's the reality of life. We're going to meet yeah. thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. But uh those that do matter to you and do count, and uh, we can maybe jump onto some shared suffering, is it, it's important to invest in those relationships. And you never know when that's going to give back. And you know, I look at every single person that, that came to join me on that event. We've done something cool together in the past. And it's like, we've probably had a bit of shared suffering, which might be just a miserable hill walk. It might be one of the guys I'd been up the highest mountain in Southern Hemisphere with, and he'd actually lost his toenails on the way down. And uh, we got back to Mendoza, and uh, I can remember him. He was sat in, a, in bed, and I was dying for an ice cream after 18 days of, oh, on this bloody mountain. And he couldn't walk for the ice cream. So I ran a kilometre a kilometre out to an ice cream shop and then ran back with it with these ice creams. And he was sat there with his feet in bits in this, with a, a, this half-melted ice cream in this room. And, you know, that's an example of something I did for him. 
And next thing you know, he's turned up on the scaffold pike and he's like, I'm going to carry your beacon. I'm going to come with you on this. And Amazing. so I think it's, yeah, those ex- this experience you have with people throughout your life, they're always going to have your back. Yeah, I think mate, that's that's quite cool. I bet, I bet on that day, you running for that ice cream, you were like, oh, this is the last thing I want to do. But I bet you thought about it on Scarfell Pike and th- thought that was the best 2K run I ever had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You, you chuck, and I, I think I will have spoken to, I spoke to everyone who supported me on an event to some degree and we'd laugh uh, and tell stories about stupid stuff that we've done in the past and, and a good healthy amount of taking the piss out of each other as well. Yeah. Because it's always good to have a, a like a little bit of banter off someone that you trust. Yeah. Uh, but the same again with, you know, Big Danny and, you must have chuckled when you saw the photographs of the aerial drone footage. And if, if people see or, or catch up on that, is uh, Big Danny's six foot eight and I'm five foot nine and three quarters. And the three quarters is important. Yeah, but, I was uh, going to say, no one cares, mate. <laughs> no, no, I care about the three quarters. It's like, uh, yeah, and my wife does too. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, Big Danny turned around to me at one point and said, uh, yeah, it's like swimming with a feeder fish uh, hanging off my side. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You've said it twice now, mate, and I think it's a good time to jump into it. You said earlier in the show, healthy suffering. And just then you were talking about shared suffering. Talk to us about the importance of this concept of suffering for I guess, mate, we could almost say on a deeper level for the advancement of life or for the, for the bettering of life. What, what's your thoughts on suffering and how do we create this healthy suffering or shared suffering? Yeah, okay. Uh, let's just jump straight into the deep end with it. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you easy questions, mate. <laughs> no, I, I, I like the deep questions. Um, you know, it's, it's good to sit here and ponder on the meaning of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll jump into my perspective, but uh, I actually, I, I enrolled in a strength and conditioning degree five years ago, and there was a really interesting article, and it was, uh, I'm not a triathlete, by the way, uh, I've never done a triathlon before this event, but there was an article on, it was triathlon or triathletes and the pain community, and it was looking at why people partake in triathlon, and the two findings from the end of it was, the first one was for social significance. So it was to identify with a, a, a certain group, a certain demographic. Now, uh, I've done my fair share of CrossFit. I'd probably, uh, you know, more like myself to a, a CrossFitter than a triathlete. And let's, well, we can, anyone who CrossFits out there, you know that you've all got your rogue T-shirts and you like to identify as a CrossFit and you like everyone to look and go, do you CrossFit? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so so there's definitely that thing that you like to identify with a group. And the second part of it was uh, for suffering. And when they delve deeper into it, it was that in our life, everything, you know, we live in 2021 now and everything is designed around convenience and latest tech and the, the newest devices or the newest type one fun, which we can jump onto in a second, experience of just really quick fix. And what they felt is a lot of these people that work in office jobs and, and different walks of life that actually they don't have any suffering in their life to kind of know more who they are as a person. So they like to go out there, delve into it, have some suffering with some other with, with some guys and some women come back and learn a little bit more about themselves. Uh, so then I guess coming on to 
how we how we deliver that shared suffering. Um, I think you've got to be willing to. I think this almost comes around to if anyone's ever heard of the central governor theory of of where the the brain the brain will like to limit you before things get too hard, and it's like no, go sit on the sofa, go have an ice cream. Like you need to to tell yourself to a certain degree that actually you're capable of a little bit more. I think once you've done that, you're a little bit more open to going, well, let's go and see what we can do. And it's either pretty rewarding or pretty humbling from whatever you're suffering to come back. And as long as you reflect and go, wow, that kicked my ass or wow, I did more than I thought I could. That experience of knowing yourself a little bit more is, is paramount. Amazing. That's right. For a deep question like that on the spot, that's an incredible answer. I'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) I want to move, mate, into a little bit of the tougher times of this challenge. And I don't like the the swim, obviously, that on Lockor, the 41K. After that, you ran 103K. They're all, I'm sure, had challenges within themselves. What is your, you, you said it before, like, I can swim for 30 minutes, but how did you really cope, mate? Did you ever finish a day and just think, how am I going to get through tomorrow? And if so, like, how do you cope? How do you react? I think these are the things that people want to know. Like, like how did Frankie get through this? Yeah, okay. So that comes down to, to one word, and that's preparedness. And But then that isn't like a binary. We're going to split that into mental and physical. So... Uh, I'm sure the podcast that you are, your listeners will be really ready into preparedness. And so if we look at the physical aspect, it, it's like, well, I asked this question is how do you break down something that is 14 to 16 days? How do you work out your meso macro micro cycles to go? Well, I need to two months out. I need to be running 150 kilometers on that day. And I need to be doing this. It's like almost impossible. So yeah. I had to take a complete different slant on how I physically prepared. But that wasn't a question you're asking me. I think what you're asking me more is on the mental side of how I prepared. Yeah, and, and, and if there were times, mate, where across these days, you, you're like, this is, um, this, how, how am I going to get through this? Yeah, so, so knowing that that question would, knowing that that question would come up is I had to deal with that question, coming back to that word preparedness, before the event so i dealt with that question a year and a half ago when i committed to the event i had to ask myself some deep questions of going well how far am i willing to go and i made uh you know an unwritten contract with myself that i was going to finish the event unless an injury a catastrophic injury took me off it or i physically could not take one step further forward And whatever else comes outside of the catastrophic event or not stepping forward, then I would just have to deal with it. So if that's an injury or if that's the cold, then I will deal with it and get on with it because no one else put me in that arena. I chose to put myself in there. So the only person I have to blame for putting myself there is me. So, So the decision was made before I got there. Wow. So, but there were hard times. You know, it's not to say that, that didn't make it easy. It just changed my decision process when those times got hard. That's incredible, mate. 
And you've said a lot of quite powerful things thus far, but I think that's one of, for me, that's one of the greatest things that I've heard because I never really hear people stopping events for those two reasons. They're not the most frequent reasons that people stop the events, are they? People have stopped the event because oh, I couldn't complete it because I ran out of water or I couldn't complete it because I didn't do the training because something came up at work. These are all like weird, in my opinion, quite weak excuses. Whereas you've set only two reasons that I'm not going to get this done. And you've bought into them a year and a half before you've stepped one foot into into the challenge. It's absolutely incredible, mate, and so powerful. Yeah, but uh, thanks to you. I, I, I really appreciate it. That didn't, you know, that's not come overnight. And, and it's interesting that, you know, speaking to uh, guys out on the route and friends is that, you know, I was a, a, an incredibly strong, fit 25-year-old, 30-year-old. Yeah. But I think the older you get, a little bit more life perspective and, and life experience. You know, you do things and then you realize and you make decisions and you make bad decisions and good decisions. And that, you know, I knew that uh, if I would have taken myself off this event, or I guess I, I felt responsibility to the sponsors and everyone who believed in me and Andy and Andy's family. So that was definitely there. And then the second part of it is if I pull myself off, off this event for, any reason other than catastrophic injury or the fact I couldn't move forward, then in one week, two weeks' time, a year's time, at the end of my life, when I look back and go, actually, was I as uncomfortable as I thought I was? Um, so I didn't want to live with, uh, what's the word, that, um, yeah, for not reaching my potential, I guess. Yeah. So It's very powerful, mate. What was the hardest? Is there a moment, mate, that and I know this is it's probably quite a boring question after all the stuff we've chatted about but I know it's what people want to know like what was the or was there a single moment that you can pinpoint and say that was the hardest part of that challenge yeah I want to hit you with three okay uh, yes okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so probably I'd say um uh, before it like two weeks before two weeks before the pressure of that that deadline that is all good and well when it's two years away, but when it's two weeks away and you're like, you've got a little niggle and you're like, I've not got this kit. And you're like, Oh no, yeah. like I have now committed to something. And the big question and that resounding fear of what if, what if that happens? What if that happens? And, and dealing with that process, the two weeks beforehand until yeah. I got to the start line was hard. So that's what right. the, the second one uh, was the cold of Lockhaw. Like, holy shit. I didn't realise how much the fatigue was going to hit me by then and and just how that was going to kick out. And to put it, for, for everyone listening, I was I, swimming for 30 minutes. I had a quick coffee and then I started swimming again. And uh, this is just, I was still in the water. And I thought I had seaweed or some weeds trapped around me. And uh, I, I just like three times kept looking for this fishing line or whatever it was. And I spoke to the guy swimming with me and he's like, no, there's nothing on you. And then I realized that 40 minutes into the swim that I was shaking, shivering. So I was shivering while swimming, like properly shivering. Wow. So I was shivering for 20 minutes. I then got into the boat, decided to throw coffee everywhere because I couldn't hold my coffee. And the guys were looking at me thinking, 
wow, this is like one hour into you swim. And the next three days of then, the thought of as soon as I'd stopped shivering was then my two-minute notice for myself to get back in the water. If, if anyone's ever been that cold, and then knowing that water, the lock core is what did that to me, I now need to get back into you again, and you're going to do it to me again for another hour. Wow. I think that was singularly the, the hardest thing that I had to deal with. So we're not um, uh, we're not planning uh, a Christmas vacation for a swim at Loch Awe then, mate, this year. No, no, no. <laughs> but the irony is, the irony is, uh, I literally, uh, I, I, I think I meant it. I was like, finished Loch Awe, and I was like, I want to throw this wetsuit in the bin. Never going to swim again. The first bit of exercise I've done in the last two weeks was in a cold outdoor pool in the Alps. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Oh, yeah. my, brilliant. Is which, there one, was there one more really yeah. hard point? So the other one is like the one which everyone can probably more expect. And this is, and for ultra runners out there, you'll get it, is like there's nothing more that beats your ass than a, a long run on crap terrain uh, when you're tired. And I had uh, what I thought was potentially stress fractures but uh, I didn't want to catastrophize. It turned out to be just really, really bad tendonitis in right. my shin, uh, anterior tibialis. Uh, just the having to carry that pain um, and trying not to suffer mentally, just accepting that it was just pain, but dealing with that for 48 hours was just a yeah, grim. <laughs> I love them, mate. You said something earlier that you're able to compartmentalize different parts of, of, of life, I guess, mate. How, what do you mean by that? And how did you deploy that throughout this challenge? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I guess compartmentalizing for me is, is framing an experience and, and being able to uh, almost repeat it, uh, learn it, show it, move on. So the sooner, let's look at the positive. Uh, after the compartmentalizing, the positive move forward from that is is we can then take positive action. If we're still living in the grief or the suffering or the what if or feeling sorry for ourselves in that moment, then we're not able to implement a positive action. So I like to be able to to learn from things and. I'm not going to say that uh, I, I'm not upset or hurt at different times in my life and, and get frustrated. Of course, that happens. But the sooner I can close that loop off, the better. Mm -hmm. So that comes with it. You know, people can look at, I don't journal all after. I do write things down. I think it's important to learn. But going through a cycle of going, okay, what happened? Right, this is how I feel about it. Okay, is there anything I could have done better? Okay, draw my conclusion. Now, what's my action plan going forward? It's like, if I could do nothing about that, mm. like I, there's nothing I could control about that external situation, then just get on with it because, yeah, don't let it affect you. I love it. So, so that's what I mean by compensating is breaking it down to is what could I have done, recognizing could I have controlled that, could I not? And if I could, what could I have done better, learn from it, move on. Move on. I love it, mate. The last leg, mate, was a 302-kilometer cycle from Ben Nevis into John O'Groats. When you set out on that, knowing that that was 
the last the last bit there must have been i i always feel that like there's an interesting feeling at the start and then probably midway through it's like you're back in hell again talk us through and then and then obviously you get to the end which i want to hear about mate but what was it like setting out on that last 300k bike ride mate yeah so actually like a no plan uh, uh is it no plan survives the first contact which is a, a good military saying <laughs> yeah so you can plan for everything and i planned that 300 kilometer ride and i was like yeah it's gonna be brilliant to be at the commander memorial which means a lot to me as a as a royal marine and set off from there a former royal marine to set off from there to to cycle a 300k all the way in i was like well it's gonna be one long hit but because i've got that far then i'll definitely you know be able to finish it now, as I turned up to uh, the Commander Memorial at about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, uh, I got presented with a jersey and then I heard some news that uh, the roads were all closed to Inverness uh, the next morning at six o'clock in the morning to bikes, to everything. This was a big event. So we were like, fuck, which meant after running the bend day, I had to get on the bike at like eight o'clock at night and smash a hundred and something K ride into Inverness oh. in the dark, got in at three o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, this absolutely sucks. <laughs> so um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't quite go to plan, but it, it shows that you, you know, you just have to remain flexible. I, I looked at the two guys that were with me in that moment and I could see on the faces, they were like, one was fresh. He was, the guy who broke the news, he was like, right, I'm here to jump in with you. Amazing. The other guy that I was with was like, oh, no, we've just been like on our feet for 18 hours and now we've got to get on the bike. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And then, mate, when you did pull into John O'Groats, talk us through it, mate. Far out. It must have been wild. Yeah. Crazy. I, the, the pack that, so I'd been drafting a good deal of the way there in on the last leg and, uh, smart. Team, uh, <laughs> smart, yeah. A team of friends jumped in, and I was happy to take that tour along. Yeah. And uh, they they cycled ahead and let me come in by myself. And what was crazy was the five minutes before getting there of just cycling by myself, looking out. And I was like, wow, I'm feeling emotional. Uh, yeah. I don't want to cry. Like, how do I feel about this that it's just been completed? What dawned on me at that kind of at that time is I actually thought to, other athletes, uh, you know, in different disciplines, different sports, we could take CrossFitters, we could take Matt Fraser, we could take uh, Victoria Pendleton, is you see that one person achieving that great thing, but behind that person there's a huge team, as a team of media guys, of people in nutrition supporting you, and that I, I was coming into... The, the literally to touching the, the, the flagpole at John O'Groats was, uh, I, I wanted to put that across of just how important that team is that supports you and the sacrifice that they made and, and almost they're like the untold heroes. Yes, you'll have seen their face on media, but they're the guys that sat in front of me on a bike, swam beside me, yeah. were there in the morning. And, and I'm just humbled um, and can't say thanks enough to, you know, the sponsors of Through Dark, my brother's company that, that put a huge shift into my brother, the guy who was the gel behind everything. He was booking accommodation 
20 minutes before we got there, you know, and, and then, yeah, I guess I can't say thanks enough to everyone. And, and we, we don't have enough time now to thank everyone. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most humbling thing from it all is yes, I've completed a world's first, but I'm actually more humbled with everyone that sacrificed themselves and their time to get me there. Amazing. Um, it's right. a pretty special moment. Yeah, I can imagine. And, Mate, uh, that, yeah, wild. I'm sort of sat here. I, I do have a question, and uh, one more question for you. But yeah, I'm like, wow, it's but mate, the and and I remember getting a message from you, and because obviously we tried to do this podcast in the lead up to it, and then we didn't, and blah blah blah. And then you send me a message when you're done, and you're like, mate, let's get and let's get it done. But my schedule's all over the place. Things are going mental. So my my question is like, what's it been like in the aftermath, mate? It must just be absolute carnage for you. <laughs> yeah so it's uh it's it's been crazy like i've had to uh for listeners that live in the alps uh, i had to rush home there was there's a home situation that could be some breaking news in the next couple of weeks it's all positive but there's a lot going on in my personal life yeah and then there's also there's the amount of people that send support and even Andy and Andy's family sent me some amazing support so it's it's dedicating time to get back to people and thank them so it's been really chaotic. I don't think it sank in. Uh, mm-hmm. My injury is only just starting to frustrate me that uh, I'm doing all my rehab, but I want to be out there and moving again. Yeah. And it's just trying to take the moment. I'd like to you know, thank you for, for opportunities like this where I get, I get 45 minutes of quality time yeah. to really reflect on, on the process and talk about it. And it's, it helps me in part of that compartmentalizing thing of, of kind of everything that I have learned from it, it, it cements that. So yeah, it's been crazy and I'm looking forward to what the future holds. Right. I won't ask you what the future holds because I sort of, I sensed what you just said there that it's too early. You still need to, A, I think, mate, you still need to enjoy it because it's probably just like <laughs> fucking hell, you, you know, you, <laughs> everything you've been through, mate. And normally, you know, we're only two weeks after and people will be like, all right, Frankie, what's next? And like, like, fuck off, leave me alone. I just want to like, and I think what you said, mate, and you've just given us so much value throughout. It's that you're coming to terms with what you've done and you're reflecting on it. And when you do that, then the next steps of life will will pave themselves, won't they, mate? And that's what I love about your sort of attitude. And I think I'm sure that's why you were successful in completing this this insane challenge. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I probably do have a, like a, a little bit of a response that one, but I'm definitely going to take that, uh, enjoy it a bit. And I had a, I've had a couple of beers since, which has been good. Yeah. Like a beer tastes good. <laughs> like I forgot, <laughs> forgot how good it is. And, you know, I'm looking forward to a, getting out into the Alps and, and enjoying sport and, and, you know, the environment and, and being at one with nature. So that's definitely happening. But yeah. something that there's um, a, this is a big word to drop in here. I have definitely not transcended, but this, this process has taught me that, that, you know, the circles of who you can influence can vary and I think we all have it in us to be a role model. And, you know, we're coaches. I, I'm a, a coach and I, I, it's paramount that as a coach, I role model in my gym and every environment. You know, that's mm-hmm. super important to me. 
perhaps this event means that I can reach a few more people, you know, because people are interested. And, and if I can, it's, if I can role model to a wider audience, then that's going to be super cool. And so I'm trying to kind of shift my focus that instead of my circle of influence being the guys who come to my gym or the guys I take on the hill is that perhaps if I can help other people that I don't yet know a wider network, then, then that's only a good thing. I've just got to find the way how. Incredible, mate. Congratulations. What, what you did is it's epic, mate. It's, it's brilliant. It really, like, I've still got the schedule up on the screen here and I keep looking at it and I must have, you know, I followed the whole journey and I've, I've, I've read through it so many times, but every, I look and I see something else, mate. I'm just thinking like 29K up Scarfell Pike. I remember last time I was on Scarfell Pike, I was like 14 or 15 and getting blown off it because I was like 32 <laughs> kilos and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy shit. So it's mental, mate. And folks, I, I will put a link in the show notes, the Just Giving to the Just Giving page and to all the links because Frankie's got a lot of websites set up, which talks all about the background that, that you gave, mate. But what a, what a challenge, what a cause. And mate, you're an epic human. We could... I could talk all day. I literally could. I've got. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, next time we should catch up. Should we maybe do it in person and we can, um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not yet committing to some shared suffering, but, <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure sometime in the future, there's going to be an itch that needs scratching. So bear yeah, me in mind. Absolutely. Man. I, that was what I was going to say. I, my, my closing was literally, I think we can do some shared suffering. Together. Some shared suffering. Yeah. Just let's go think of something else crazy. Um, yeah brilliant frankie i will let you continue to recover continue to reflect but mate absolutely inspirational what a legend thank you so much thank you mate